All right, everybody, welcome to the Deal Gen Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and business titans about a wide range of topics and experiences. The Deal Gen Podcast is brought to you by Deal Gen Partners. Deal Gen Partners is the leading deal origination service on the market for private equity buyers. Deal Gen Partners combines their M&A and private equity experience with a proprietary method of multi-channel marketing services that they call the Bird Dog. This unique recipe generates transaction-ready deals at an unmatched pace and increases a private equity fund's chances of closing a deal by up to 10x. Reach out to DealGen Partners before you begin searching for your next investment. All right, guys, in this episode of the DealGen Podcast, we spoke to Todd Sullivan of ExitWise. Uh, Todd's an awesome, awesome guy. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much value in here for both buyers and sellers of companies. Um, ExitWise is a is a business that basically links sellers of companies to the perfect investment banker or M and A advisor for their services. So rather than you know just going with a generic um, banker who's who's sold businesses before, they intend to give you the A team. Um, and the way that you know Todd puts it in this episode is, you know, if you want to win the Stanley Cup, he can bring you know the Sidney Crosby's of the world the uh, Ovechkins of the world, the McDavid's of the world, and put them on your team in order to achieve that goal. And yes, at the end of the goal, you know, you are going to be a champion. um, And there is going to be, you know, some cost that goes into selling a company as there should be. But, you know, having that right A team uh, to get you from where you are right now to the finish line and to achieve that ultimate goal is so beneficial um, and not only just for sellers but for buyers of those types of companies too working with the right bankers um, can go a long long way in adding value and making you know value seeing value within transactions so hope you guys uh, really enjoy this one Todd's Todd's uh, an amazing entrepreneur and looking forward to uh, diving in here well look Todd I appreciate you coming on here this is great um, and you know the show itself, um, we'll kind of dive into a little bit about what you got going on, but you know, I do have some questions prepared for you that I'm, yeah, I'm going to ask. So I'll start with this, you know, you're a person who's exited a few companies yourself, you know, started them, grown them, bought them, exited them. Um, what are some of the failures that you've seen in the M and a process that made you want to start exit wise? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. So uh, yeah, th- to give you a little background, right, I built and sold four companies and three of them were backed by venture capital firms. And the reason I say that is that when you take outside investors, you're on this clock, right, uh, to sell a business. And and so I've sold my businesses with investment bankers, um, with M&A advisors, and on my own. And I would say, looking back, probably the biggest mistake that I made is selling a business on my own. And I can tell you the the two main reasons are that I just didn't have real insight in what the buyer was all about. Not only did I leave a lot of money on the table uh, doing it that way because I didn't have insight of how they really valued uh, my company, but I think that the bigger piece, and I think that founders forget this, is that it is such a full-time job to sell a business Mm -hmm. that I had to take my eye off the ball running my own company. And so it's really easy to sell a company that's going like this, but when you take your the eye off the ball and you end up flatlining, I mean, if not flatlining is the wrong word, but you, you don't have any growth, uh, that gets used against you during a six-month process of selling your business. So 
my biggest failure, which really leads to why we started ExitWise, is that I wasn't properly represented on two of the deals that I did. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest point. No, I mean, it's a it's a it's a fantastic point, too. And, you know, as I've grown in my career, I've been doing, you know, I've been an entrepreneur since I was about 24 years old. So it's only, you know, seven, seven years now. Um, but I've, I've what I've realized is that, you know, when it comes to assigning jobs to an, an individual or working with, you know, an outside group um, versus what I'm doing you know, it's important to pay attention what you're really good at. And, you know, you ask yourself like, hey, I have this sellable entity right now. Well, how did I get here? It's because I'm really good at something, you know, that is part of this business. And then I've built the team around me that's good at some of the other things that maybe I'm not good at or don't want to focus on. So the more often you're taking the eye off the ball of what you're really good at and what you're doing that's driving the organization forward, you know, I think, uh, typically the worse off it's being, you know, the, the, the entity's probably doing or the worse off that you're putting you know, the position that you're putting yourself in. So whenever it comes to, you know, let's say my current business partner and I want to, um, I'll give you an example. You know, we want to, uh, like if we ever wanted to spin up our own sell side advisory firm, um, we're mm-hmm. doing, we're, we're working only on the buy side right now. If we want to sit, I would look at it and be like, well, I have no experience in that our business is growing right now because I have experience and expertise in doing what I'm good at right now. So, you know, let's go and instead hire for that and have bring in someone who's a true expert at that process and have them lead us down that path. And then we can follow and, you know, pick them up with the resources required to do it. But it's the same, same goes for when you're selling a company, you know what I mean? Like, you've been spending years of your life building this particular business and working every day on what you're good at and what you're trying to achieve. And why not bring in somebody else who is doing the exact same thing, but on the banking or M&A side, who spends all of their days marketing and selling companies, you know, instead of you trying to learn a skill that they've spent 10, 20, 30 years learning. Yeah, Joe, I appreciate you saying that because it really is the double whammy. It's not only that you take your eye off the ball growing your business, which you're really, really good at, but now you're jumping into a role that you have no idea what you're doing, right? Right. It's the first time most founders will sell a business, they'll do it once. Why would you go and do something you've never done before and think you're going to be an all-star at it? Um, The the second piece that I would say that really started – kind of the wheels turning around exit wise for us was that uh, when we did sell with an investment banker, what we found out post-transaction was there was a critical piece of information that I wish we had had. And if we had that piece, our outcome would have been significantly better. And, And that piece of information was that our acquirer was waiting to complete our deal in order to sell an entire business unit, a multinational corporation with a with a substantial business unit. And so if we had that knowledge, that power would have been substantial in negotiations. Sure. And you know, our investment banker really had never transacted with this particular buyer before. And this is an international buyer who's done a lot of M&A. So my mistake was hiring somebody that didn't have true industry expertise that had personal relationships with, you know, a small group of buyers that would likely be 
my buyers. And so when you couple those two things together of one, not having representation, and then two, having representation that wasn't perfect, we left a lot of money on the table in multiple situations. And we've designed exit wise to, to frankly, not let founders do that. It, we're going to create the exits they deserve by surrounding them with the best possible uh, M&A teams that have direct industry experience and personal relationships with their buyers. And that leads to outcomes that are 30% higher than market. And we we have the data to support it. It's amazing that this doesn't happen today, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's that's powerful, you know, because, you know, at first, obviously, we talked about selling it by yourself and the downfalls of that. But then, you know, selling it with an individual who maybe has never sold a business like yours before. So they don't even know. They have to go out and, you know, Google who buys these things <laughs> versus having deep year, you know, interconnected years long worth of relationships. You know, they know they know exactly who the buyer is going to be when an, when an opportunity like that comes in, because this is all they do. They do deals in that space all day long. And I think that that does add that extra layer, because, again, you know, you think about it, you're a seller, you're an entrepreneur, you've you've done your job of building a company from concept to something that's now sellable and valuable to another company or another business. And, you know, you probably hire people along the way, you've grown people's careers, you know, you've done, you've accomplished a lot. And um, it's just to get, to get shorted on what you've built is, is truly a shame. It really is. Yeah. And Joe, the, the shorted, um, you know, in our minds as fellow founders, it feels criminal to go down a process that wastes six months of your time and drops $50,000 on a retainer to have a failed transaction. And that is what the local investment bank is more likely to do. 70% of these deals fail. And we don't have any failures. And we don't have failures because we are putting the A team on the field. It's incredible when you take a step back and look at how is it possible that an industry, lower middle market investment banking, can fail you know, that much? It, it, it is insulting to founders to leave them high and dry and, and, and waste money and time. Um, yeah, it, 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 to us, it is incredibly fulfilling what we do now because we so much believe in the business model and the value um, that we bring every founder. Um, I'll point out one thing, you know, you, you bring up that, that the expertise, right? It's one thing to have an expertise in an industry and a personal relationship with a buyer. But I'll give you an example. Recent transaction, we had uh, a software company with about a million of ARR, right? Early days, but they get an inbound offer. Inbound offers around 15 million bucks for the company, right? Seems really, really, really attractive on a million of ARR, right? So a lot of your listeners, if they're, you know, uh, founders, a million of ARR, that is one, your first big hurdle. It's amazing step, but you got, you likely got a long way to go. Yep. So $15 million offer, it's not a lot to, it's not it's nothing to sneeze at, right? Mm -hmm. That founder's probably thinking, hmm, do I raise capital? Do I take on dilution? Or should I, you know, consider my sale uh, option to sell the business? With In the first phone call with the buyer, they called us, first phone call, we put an M&A expert, an investment banker, that wasn't even in this country, by the way, but we had identified them as the perfect investment banker for this deal. They get on the first Zoom call, and we didn't put their name in. We let them show up unannounced. And the buyer put their hand over their head like this and said, hey, called them by first name and said, good to see you again. 
And that banker said, great, I'm really glad our last deal went so well. The next 15 minutes better go really well, or you know who I'm calling next. So it's that industry specialist can create competition with one phone call. And competition drives value. And we drove $15 million offer 7X, right? So this is multi-generational wealth for, I call everyone a kid who's under 40, you know, a kid that, you know, started a business 13 months before, right? So those are the kind of outcomes that can get created by specialists. Yeah. And I mean, you know, how good would you feel? just knowing that, you know, your business is in the right hands too. I mean, I mean, a lot of people are like fearful of, I guess, paying a fee, you know, and like you said, something being expensive, it's expensive. Well, what's really expensive is leaving millions of dollars on the table. You know, it's not the, the 4% fee that the bank is going to charge or the, the M&A advisor is going to charge. What's really expensive is getting bought for much less than you deserve. And that is what can happen when you're, either trying to do this yourself or you're in the wrong hands, you know, because you got to think too, these people that are buying your company are probably not their first. I would just go into the thing saying that this is probably not their first rodeo, you know, probably their hundredth. Um, you should assume that, you know, so, uh, they know a lot more than you. They do this all the time. Um, your ability to negotiate this transaction on behalf of yourself is, you just, you're so exposed and you don't even know it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're, 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 you're talking our language um, and we can, you know, hit that point on, on fees. I think it is, it is really important to have this discussion, right? Because as founders, we're so cost conscious. We're like, Hey, every dollar I spend over there, I can't spend it on marketing or I've got to make payroll. So you count pennies and we, we get that. I counted pennies on four different companies. I totally, totally get it. When it comes to fees and paying an investment banker, you know, I'm, I'm a hockey guy, right? So we use the sports analogy of you've built your business. That's the regular season. You're thinking about selling it. You're going into the playoffs. If you want to win the Stanley Cup, I can put Sidney Crosby, uh, uh, Connor McDavid, freaking bring Wayne Gretzky back and put them on your team. Yeah. But when they win you the cup and only when they win you the cup, you're going to pay their real rate. Because I don't ask Gretzky and Crosby to take a discount bringing you the championship. Right? <laughs> and, and then, and, and so, so that's what happens. And what's even more costly is when your deal fails. People do not think about that. With 70% failing, that is an enormous cost of time and money. So we have contemplated, frankly, we have, we have, we have clients that will come to us and be like, oh, is there any way you can cut the fees? And, and we said, well, all right, well, if we went and got you the B team, we could cut the fees. And we're like, no, that's, that's not what we do. We want you to have the absolute best opportunity to hit the maximum price, the best structure, personally put you in the best professional situation, right? You want to be the CTO of this publicly traded company, and that's your requirement? Great. That's what we're going to go out and try to achieve. There's just so many ways why we we just cannot compromise on bringing you anything less than the absolute best for your specific industry and size. Right, right. And you're building a brand, you know, and I'm sure that you're, you know, as a business owner, you see a lot of opportunities that maybe don't 
sign on right that second or maybe don't ever sign on because, you know, they're like, oh, it's a little bit too expensive. Well, at the end of the day, you know, you would in the long term, I think, benefit a lot more from doing exactly what you're doing, which is being like, we don't compromise on our fees. We don't compromise on our process. We are the best at what we do. That's going to benefit you a lot more in the long term than trying to make, you know, a few bucks here, here and there now, um, finding that a solution that's subpar because then it's like, okay, well, exit wise, I'll just take any, any, any offer that's crossing the table. And, and I've, I'm just saying that from experience too. Like, you know, we, we try to just be this solution oriented, um, business where it's like, Hey, we could make money over this direction. When now you're just you're not running a company, you're just making money. You're just trying to make money, you know? And, and <laughs> yeah, I, you know, our business model, frankly, demands that we have perfection because we don't get paid unless you sell your business. We don't take a dollar. So uh, I am completely incentivized to make sure that the deal that sits on your plate is the one that you know y- you have dreamed about yep. because that's the only way we get paid. And we set it up that way intentionally. Yeah, bringing the B team so you can have a failed deal. We, we get nothing out of that. And, and I would say also the core of what we do, our name Exit Wise, the wise part is the education, right? So we will give education for free all day long, just so our founders don't make mistakes. I tell founders every day, you do not have to use us, but just keep these things in mind. And if you have a question, call me, I'm happy to answer it. It isn't about us making money. There are more than enough founders that understand what we do that wanna sign up for us, uh, for this process. So we're never going to be hurting. I, I, we always dedicate time to helping those that maybe don't fit our model if when where we can because I, I, I genuinely enjoy talking to founders. It's actually one of the greatest pleasures is hearing how many people around the world make money in different ways. It's incredible these stories. It is it's it's just absolutely fascinating. So yeah, we're always here to help. It's not about the dollars and cents. When it comes to dollars and cents, we have to put the A team in place because that's the only way we make money. I agree. And uh, I'm with you too. And, uh, you know, some of my favorite stories are, are just hearing about, you know, what other people are doing. It's, it's amazing sometimes, you know, all the different opportunities that there are out there. And I think it just makes you take a step back and realize like as someone who might want to become an entrepreneur, you know, if you can make money, you know, uh, uh, making, call it, you know, just these tiny little widgets or making, you know, uh, just fixing like the most minute problem, you know, you look around at everything in this room that I'm in right now, you know, someone was, came up from just someone solving a problem, you know, and then creating a solution around it. And I think that focus, energy, passion towards a particular solution is really what a business is at the end of the day that's going to grow. You know, so it doesn't really matter if it's like, hey, I, I'm doing something in real estate. I'm doing something in tech. No, it's if you have focus, passion and energy to pour into something. And it's something that you care about, you know, and there is a problem to be solved. There is product, you know, market fit, then you can make a business out of anything. <laughs> you really can. Yeah, those are th- three yeah, uh, great characteristics. I would add, and I, and, and we've all heard, I would add purpose right. to it. Right. And I, think, um, you know, as a, as a founder four times, this being number five, um, I always kind of, I kind of scoffed at that. I was just like purpose, like, well, the purpose is to build a successful business, isn't it? Right. But with exit wise, our purpose is to help our fellow founders. 
And that is incredibly meaningful because I, you know, I've been through the ringer, right? I've had just failure on failure and then an occasional success. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody can learn from a failure so they can, you know, jump over that pitfall that I fell in, um, that's incredibly meaningful. So we find just a ton of purpose in what we do. And I know when we talk to people, whether it's the best investment banker in the world for a deal or a founder who's struggling to make this decision or is, you know, running head on head on head with a board member of what they should do next. You know, we have that empathy and that we can stand in their shoes and we can share a kind of real insight. Um, and we feel like that that's the purpose of the business is just to create the exits that other founders deserve. Um, so I, I, you say it well, and I would just add that it, 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 you can have all that passion, you can have the effort and the expertise, but when you have pa a purpose behind it, it really kind of elevates your game. Yeah, I, yeah, really well said, really well said. So look, I play kind of on the other side of the field in, in some regards with what I do at DealGen. You know, we work on behalf of buyers, right? So, and, yep. and one thing that all my buyers want is proprietary deals, you know, deals that maybe haven't been seen or scoffed over by the entire market. What advantages would you tell a buyer about, you know, buying a company from the right banker? Uh, if I'm a buyer, you know, you, obviously we've talked a lot about sellers being matched up with the right banker, but what advantage, what advantages on the buy side come from, you know, the right banker being in place? Yeah. Okay. Great question. I think it starts with when a banker is approaching you with a deal and let's not even say a great banker, just a banker in general. What you know immediately is that deal has the intention of selling. The founders and the owners of that business are signaling because they've hired representation, we are going to get a transaction done. So buyer, you are not wasting your time looking at this deal. As opposed to, you know, the analysts making the calls, finding a deal that is proprietary with a founder that may be just kicking the tires, trying to figure out what he might be worth, trying to learn about something that he knows he or she knows nothing about. So I would say that um, number one is that there's conviction to actually get a deal done. Now, number two is that a banker is going to present truth to you. And that means that all the financials of that business that are typically just a mess in the lower middle market, you know, businesses that sell between call it 15 and 250 million bucks, that tends to be where we play. We sell businesses 50, 60 million. That's about, you know, an average for us. Yep. So those, those can be platforms for private equity on the lower end, their, their financials tend to be messy. And, you know, you question a lot of things about those financials. The right investment banker is going to create truth in those financials. So a buyer, your buyers are going to look at something and be able to evaluate it and not have to worry that half these numbers are wrong, right? And, and create the, the wrong evaluation. And then I, I guess I would say the third part is that if you have an industry specialized investment banker, this, this is pretty critical. And I think this drives a lot of value on both sides of the equation. An industry specialized investment banker can talk to a, a private equity buyer and say, "Hey, I, are you are you experienced in buying, um, you know, digital marketing services?" Oh no, maybe this is our first time in. We're trying to make a big bet. That industry specialist can tell you, give you all the stories of all the previous companies, how they're doing, and in fact, 
if you have a platform already, they can help model the synergies that two companies create together. So they can help you uncover value that you may or may not be expecting. I think the insight that a true industry investment banker adds a ton of value to the buyer for, for value, but also getting a deal done. The in Those specialists, they also tend to negotiate around the things that matter, not around the stuff that, you know, it's around the edges and it's just wasting hours. So I know that's a little verbose, but... Um, no, it's really well said. It I, is. That's what I hear from buyers, right? That yeah. they know, hey, there's conviction. We got real financials. And if it's a specialist, we got real insight on what that company can do on our side of the on our side of the fence. Yeah, I get both too. You know, I I talk to a lot of private equity funds and and you know, even large strategics, and sometimes all they're concerned about is the proprietary deal flow. You know, seeing hey, we're gonna, we're going to see this opportunity before anybody else, so we're going to get our first crack at it. And ideally, I think it's because they they see an opportunity to make a a good deal for themselves. Um, and they you know they're kind of eliminating the competition or they're eliminating the whole process that some banks run. But then I talked yeah. to a lot of other banks, uh, no, sorry, a lot of other buyers, private equity, f- who are like, we only buy deals from bankers and it's because we don't like to waste time, you know? And yep. so knowing that the transaction is already, they've already committed to, to selling. They've already committed to, they've hired the banker. This, this thing is up for sale is, is a huge hurdle, you know, that versus talking directly to a founder who's in between. Um, and then knowing that, you know, that particular banker, they have longstanding relationships. They might say, I only buy, we only buy deals from certain bankers. And that's because of all the things that exactly what you said, you know, they know that if they're bringing them something, it's something that's ready. And it's something that, you know, the banker already knows what is important to that buyer. So they can start, you know, kind of molding the transaction, you know, in in the, in the, the values of the seller towards just making it collaborative and saying, Hey, well, these guys, really care about this. So what are you willing to negotiate or sacrifice or whatever, knowing that information? And that's where the seller, you know, the seller can be like, okay, well, now that I know that piece of information, you know, maybe we can start crafting the deal this way. And it just, I can, I, you, you're painting a really good picture of how that could be a, a good mesh. Yeah, Joe, I think you said it better than I did because that it is an important point when a banker has already sold to a specific buyer they understand the components of what's getting built on a platform and they're going to understand what's missing. And so when they can call up a a buyer, a private equity group and say, Hey, I've got your missing piece. Then the the private equity group is going to say, and they know what they're talking about because they've already been, you know, under the tent with us. We bought something from them before. Um, But touching on the, the proprietary side, it's obviously, you know, it's really important. Everybody wants to have that first access, create um, that that relationship with a buyer, um, provide certainty around a close, do something really quickly. And that's really, that's of real value to our founders. So in some cases, we, we obviously can't do it every time. Um, we'll have a founder come to us and we'll have, we'll know of a really perfect buyer already without having the investment bank. And we will say to that founder, look, we could make this introduction early, or we could just bring them into the buyer list when you know your your all star team is made. Now, knowing that we would introduce you early, your fees are going to be lower. You, likely, you're not going to maximize your price, 
but you're going to know very quickly we're going to have if you're going to have a deal done in 30 days mm-hmm. your, your deal won't be completed in 30 days but just 30 days of kind of due diligence you're going to know whether you want to work with this group and to me it's it's a really nice thing to be able to offer founders is that we know their we know the buyers they don't take advantage you know of founders this is a great home for your business you might get 80 cents on the dollar but you're not going to go through the next 6 months of a very very difficult process and you remove a lot of risk uh, we love being able to offer that yeah yeah um, and uh and you know firms like yours you have access to those guys you know what they're looking for right so it really makes sense for you know collaboration to happen because at the end right you're serving buyers you're serving sellers really really well yeah you're just linking up you know um you're making a marriage between you know two willing parties one said i want to buy something one says i want to sell something and and you know that you know there's there's a good fit here you know you're kind of just playing cupid at the end of the day and making sure that nothing goes wrong but um you know, I, I think there's a lot of collaboration, even though that I work, you tend to work specifically for one side of it. I tend to work specifically for the other. Um, I think we're going to be the way that we're going to be good at what we do is working on behalf of both parties without like misrepresenting that, you know, and I think that with deal gen, you know, Brian always says my partner, he's like, we sit in a really unique spot within this deal because we bring the deal to the, we don't ask the sellers for anything, you know? So we bring, we bring the opportunity forward to the buyer. Um, but we have some insight into what they want and we have some insight into what they're capable of doing. You know, and we have insight into how they want to structure the deal. So we can bring that forward and say, you know, Hey, just to let you know, this might be a stock purchase versus an asset purchase. And here's the difference. And this is what these guys want to do. And so if that's something that's appealing to you, you know, we'll bring it to this group this group's probably going to give you a 2x multiple because we've seen them do it over and over and over again. They're going to, you know, they're going to close it within 45 days and you're going to have all the cash that you that you want within 45 days from now, but you're not going to maximize your value. We can tell them that and the seller trusts us because again, we're not asking them for anything. So, yeah. But my point in the the story is that, you know, we don't have to pick sides just because we work on behalf of the the two different sides, you know, mutually and simultaneously doesn't mean that we have to um like uh, you know you're the you're the red team and i'm the blue team it's like hey let's just we can work in the middle a lot here and really kind of carve out this process to be streamlined and to be adding as much value as we can to both sides of the party yeah i love what you guys are doing at deal gen because you get insight into what the buyers are really thinking what they really want what really moves the needle for them and I think a lot of times, you know, that buyer and banker may be a little bit, you know, hey, we're all negotiating here, so we're not going to let the cat out of the bag entirely. Why we're so interested in this business, right? Because, you know, they don't want that used against them. With you guys, you're really behind the veil, right? So you can really understand what the buyer is looking for because you're their hunter, right? They want you to know stuff that they may not share otherwise. So you're in a really privileged position and and that's a valuable position to be in. Yeah, we see it a lot. You know, we do. And um, but I'm looking forward to you know collaborating with you guys more and more as we as we continue to grow these businesses out. So Absolutely. I have a couple of um, more personal questions for you, I guess. Um, I right. mean, they're not super personal, but it's just more focused on you than exit wise. Um, so in the last call it three to five years, you know, you're you're a successful, busy guy. In the last three to five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Um, are you talking about, uh, from a business perspective? Cause I have young children, 
Oh, in general, you know? So, yeah, I'm saying no a lot. <laughs> so better at saying no to from, let's say, uh, not to your children or anything like that, but from like an opportunity standpoint, from a time standpoint, you know, what have you become better at saying no to? It could be distractions, invitations. It could be, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know that I have a great example. I think when COVID hit, um, I found myself in a very recognizing of that I was in a very privileged position, right? You know, built and sold four businesses. And so um, I think what that that kind of level of gratitude for my situation kicked in for me um, during COVID. And I spent a lot of time trying to give back, right? So that meant saying yes to a lot of things that from a business perspective, I might not otherwise um, say yes to. And I, and I've frankly got a lot of personal fulfillment out of just, you know, helping people. Um, I know that doesn't really answer your question. If it comes to the, the no, I've had to transition from, I'll always offer time, but when it comes to bringing them under the fold with exit wise, I basically already said it. If we cannot put the best possible team in front of a founder, mm-hmm. and that can happen for a variety of reasons. It's not just that their fee structure, like they don't they want they don't want to pay the fees. It's more often that the business is too small. So let's say the business is going to sell for ten million dollars. Putting the fee structure on top of ten million dollars, it's too egregious for founders like that. And so what we used to do is say, let's spend some time and see if we can build a team. We won't call them the B team, but we know where they're not the best. And what we've got good at is we just say no to that now. Yeah. Um, not that we've been burned. We just know that that's not our mission. Right. Um, and so we, 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 we're just sticking, doing a better job sticking to our mission and saying no to frankly smaller companies there, we don't have exit wise designed for that kind of under $10 million business anymore. I, I think it's a great answer to be honest. And I know we already talked about it a little bit too, but you know, I'm, I'm in a position where we're trying to build a business. We're trying to build an organization. We have a mission, you know, we want to be the best at originating deals for private equity groups and, and strategic buyers. And we get approached, you know, the system that we've built out that allows us to do that is also capable of plenty of other things. And we were talking about this earlier um, yep. before the show, but um, so we get approached all the time for like, Hey, can you just run a campaign from, from my specific LinkedIn and email account to go out and do this it has nothing to do with buying businesses or can, you know, we've even started saying no, honestly, to like most referral only agreements with buyers. So, you hmm. know, a buyer might come to us and say, We'll give them the whole pitch. We'll show them deals. You know, we 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 try to do a little whining and dining before we even ask them for anything. Um, but then at the end of the conversation, it's like, well, you know, we don't really want to pay a retainer to do this. Would you guys just, you know, show us deals on a referral only basis, and we'll pay you more if the deal closes? And be, at the beginning stages of our company, we're like, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's a great logo to have on the on the website as someone who could be a buyer. These guys might close a bunch of deals this year. Um, but what we found as the longer we do this is that the deals that we end up showing them, um, are end up being the ones that get passed over by all the other real buyers out there. So they're not even good deals. So we're just kind of spinning our wheels, hoping to get things done. Secondly, you know, there's, there's gotta be some sort of, like you said, like if we can't provide everything that we can provide, then 
which is all of our resources and the full capabilities of our team, then what are we actually even doing here? We're just recycling deals that, you know, um, other people have passed on and it's not, we're not building a business model. We're just giving ourselves another chance to another chance to make yeah. money. You know, it's not a repeatable thing. Um, so I think that, that resonates what we're talking about right now with a lot of entrepreneurs who just get this, their shiny object syndrome, which is like, you know, looking at an, another opportunity that you're not even doing right now, but you can get mm-hmm. shiny object syndrome within your own business, which is like, well, we could make money over here too. Just because you can make money doing something doesn't mean that that's the best choice. Um, it's like you, that's not the goal. That's not the mission. Agreed. Last question. So, um, you built and sold four businesses. I'm sure you've invested money along the way. Um, I'm sure you've probably become pretty, you know, apt to making investments, but what was the first investment you ever made? Oh yeah. And this doesn't have to be a like stock or a a piece of real estate. This could be like anything. What was the first thing that you said? I got a, I got a really solid return out of this. Oh, okay. So that's, that's a different question. Give me both answers then. (laughs) Well, okay. So, you know, aside from investing in, you know, building my, a business in high school, waxing cars and, you know, buying equipment and, you know, building a business like that, that, that uh, I will say that let's say that doesn't count. So I sold uh first time I sold a business, I took a quarter million bucks and I put it into a company called general magic. So it was like, you know, a, 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 a not, I'm not really a penny stock, but it was this new hot tech company. I think it was like, uh, in, uh, 1998, and I'd read Bill Gates invested in this thing, and it's the kind of the next uh, uh, AI before AI was, uh, uh, you know, had a name. Right. I, I I went all in, okay. And my brother, you know, he took some money and he bought like a sports car, and I I did started this business with my brother, <laughs> and I was like, wow, you weird. That is the worst investment possible. I would say that that sports car just paid out for my brother socially way more than general magic going to zero for me within a couple of years. So that was my first investment. And I still, you know, you say, say no to things like I invest in other founders and man, is that hard? I, I am not a, I am not a great picker. I think I great invest in great people, but you know, my return as an angel investor is not, uh, it's not <laughs> ideal. I would not want somebody following in my, in my footsteps there. That's funny. Cause you'd always think, you know, someone who did it themselves, um, over and over again, you know, can definitely do it, um, or pick the right person or company that could kind of do what they did. Um, but it's kind of that age old saying, you know, even to a degree of like, you know, Larry Bird was not a great basketball coach, you know, cause he just kind of looks at it. It's like, he could do things that other people might not be able to do, or he could do, they just had a, be- a different way of going about things. So, you know, from my perspective as uh, someone who like you have accomplished a lot in the business world and bought and sold things, you know, that doesn't necessarily always mean <laughs> you're good at picking the right uh, angel for the next, the next big exit. Yeah, I know. I, I don't think maybe angel investors or, or sophisticated investors have some influence over founders and they think, oh, I'm more than a check. I'm going to be helpful. Sure. I have not found uh, that entrepreneurs are really listening to me, nor should they. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really know, but I've tried to invest in very kind of uh, a similar business model 
companies that are in different industries right. and try to get those founders to talk to each other, to share, you know, like learnings that may be similar, you know, anything that I tried, I was, I've never really kind of broken through. And actually one of my, my, one of my favorite, favorite um, early investments, you know, just got a bad call, right? The the whole board just kicked out the founder and the things, you know, taking a huge down round. It's a really tough time right now mm -hmm. for a lot of founders. Mm -hmm. um, and I think yeah, a lot of them are going to be at crossroads mm -hmm. uh, in 2023 because unless they're, you know, the the high flying unicorn getting follow on funding is going to be really tough. Yes. Um, if they've taken, you know, if they've taken uh, venture money in particular. Right. Because they're just they're set up to try to really grow really fast and spend, spend, spend to try to write that ship is going to be tough. I think we're going to see a lot of sad stories, great products, great kind of beginnings of companies, you know, shut down from a lack of funding. Yeah, a bit I, of a tangent, but uh, no, you know, that's I, what I agree. I, I do think that we're at, we're kind of seeing that and you know, we're we're seeing that already kind of with some of the valuations that people are willing to buy things for. And there seems to be a little bit of a gap at the moment between like what sellers are used to what they wanted when they started and, and what buyers or the investment market's willing to pay. Um, and that ultimately I think is going to lead to like what you just said, which is, well, they might not be able to take money at a certain valuation, you know, because it's going way backwards. And so that does leave people in kind of crappy spots, but you know, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully, there's always ways out of those situations. You know, we work with a couple buyers that do look for more distressed situations and, you know, they'll buy people out hundred percent cash, um, you yep. know, give them, you know, allow them to return the money to their investors and maybe put a little bit in their pocket and, and go on and learn from previous mistakes, uh, whatever they had to go start the next thing. And so, you know, if you're in that situation, it's not the, uh, it's not the end all be all by any means. It's one of those things where I you can get strategically out of, you know, by talking to the right people. Yeah, I would, I would make two comments on that. One, um, you know, a great investment banker in your industry has kind of the pulse of what valuation looks like. So talking to one of those guys for free or, or women for free um, can make a lot of sense for founders. Like, where do we really stand? Yep. Uh, and the second point, I am not, oh, yeah, like you, you're saying a distressed sale, right? For a founder... And I, I speak from experience, putting a win on the board, meaning you got some exit, you return some capital, is there's a lot of value in um, in the career of entrepreneurship. So you really shouldn't be thinking of what, as an entrepreneur, I'm going to step up to the plate and hit a grand slam. This is a career, you're going to do it multiple times. So having any sense of a win on the board makes the next one that much easier. Yep. And it, that is just true, right? So any sale is better than a zero. Yeah, really well said, Todd. And, you know, look, I appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Um, yeah. A lot of, lot, of, lot of really good tidbits in here. And I uh, I look forward to not only, you know, watching ExitWise continue to grow and become, you know, what I know it's going to become, but um, working alongside you guys and, and doing Absolutely. big things together. It's going to be great. Thanks so much for having me on, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye.